Don't you just love when Lisa, I mean, even the announcements, I'm like, amen, let's go. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, welcome everybody. It's great to have you here today on our One Church Sunday, and uh, this is once a year where we kind of combine services. I know out on the plaza, those of you who are uh, finding seats out there, we welcome you as well. It's our way of kind of trying to see each other, people we don't often see, and then we end with a barbecue, and it's Labor Day, so that's kind of why we do it, and this is Texas-style barbecue. It's pulled pork on the smoker. It's there for you today, um, and so uh, we're, we always do this on Labor Day, and you know, I was thinking about this. Labor Day, I, I know none of us actually know what Labor Day is. I think it has something to do with um, mothers having children, right? So, uh, but we get a day off, but I was thinking about that, and how great that we, uh, for me, I was thinking about this week and thinking, you know, we really do live in, in my opinion, um, just such a wonderful, beautiful country. A great country that's flawed, that has, has problems, yeah. But it's a great country, it's a great place to live, and um, I think even this last week, before we get into the sermon, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we know that uh, some of our local soldiers uh, lost their lives, and we found out that uh, the majority of them were stationed at Pendleton. And uh, that's kind of the, the cost and the price that many have paid for us to be in this great country. And I just thought it'd be worthwhile, since we have such a large uh, military community here in San Diego and at Seacoast, and uh, no one that we know from Seacoast was a part of that, but I'm sure that there are, it hits very close to home. It hits close to home for many of us. So before we even get started, let's just take a moment and just pray uh, hearts of thankfulness, but let's pray for the community and the military community around here and uh, what they do to help us have our country. So God, uh, we just, first of all, we want to just thank you. We thank you that uh, for whatever reason, we are people who uh, live here now in this country. And Lord, our country is not perfect, and there's a lot of uh, things that can be better, and there's a lot of hearts that are straying from you. Uh, but Lord, we're grateful for where we are. We're grateful that we can worship you in freedom. We're grateful that uh, we can be together and, and think about your ways and try to live out your ways in the community. And Lord, we're grateful for uh, the men and women who serve in our military. And right now, I just want to pray for those at Camp Pendleton and across the country in particular, who lost loved ones this week, or two weeks ago, and who lost them uh, unexpectedly, kind of at the end of a mission. And so, Lord, it hits close to home, and we just ask that your peace that passes all understanding would uh, be with those families and those here at Seacoast who are stationed at Pendleton. We pray that you would just bring comfort to them and let them know their church family loves them and is with them. So we lift them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for doing that. All right, as we get started here today, it is, uh, as I said, this is our One Church Sunday uh, when we're all here together and we have one sermon, and so that's one sermon that's actually the length of two, so that's, that's how we do it. So, but as I was thinking about this week, uh, what, what we think about is it's kind of fun to be all together as a church, and even though we are, we're going to eat together afterwards, and we didn't do this last year for obvious reasons with COVID, and this year it's a little different. In the past, we actually did some old school potlucks. You remember those? Some of you maybe grew up in church, and you grew up with the jello molds and all the things that come with a, with a church potluck, and, and you remember that, and, and we have a modified version for you today, but when I think of that, I, I, I grew up kind of attending churches, and I got to be honest with you, I did not like it. I do not have good memories of growing up in church. And really interesting is uh, last week, I was hanging out with some of my neighbors. 
uh, we were doing a birthday party for one of our neighbors who turned 83. So we all kind of came together and, and made some cupcakes for him and hung out. And one of my neighbors across the street, who may be listening to this right now, I don't know, who grew up Jewish, he started telling me his story and said he grew up going to synagogue every week. And he said, Ryan, I hated it. I didn't like it. And then so I started sharing my story like, oh, man, I always felt like the Sunday school teachers, they were there. They didn't understand kids. They didn't like me. It was boring. They actually, not even was it boring. I didn't think they liked me. I don't think they liked anybody. And they were somehow teaching Sunday school. And, and he's like, your story is just like mine. And in it, he started saying like, well, then what happened? How did you become a Christian? And I'm just like, dude, I'm just trying to hang out right now. Let's quit talking. I, I'm off work. What, and, <laughs> But it was actually really cool to see the story. But what was interesting is, in his mind, it was a story of church. And why would you now be leading a church? Because if church was such a bad thing for you growing up. And he couldn't quite make the connection yet about faith. But God's doing something in his heart. So if you're watching right now, sorry, God's doing something in your heart. That's why you're watching. But, uh, but I was thinking about when we think about church, a lot of us don't always have, didn't have the greatest experience with it. Maybe some of you who are, are younger, you're here because your family has made you come here. Maybe you're here today to support a spouse or whoever it is, and you say like, oh, that's totally my story. I don't really like churches that much. In fact, there was this, a book written about 20 years ago by an author named Philip, Philip Yancey, and he asked this really good question, and the title of the book is the question that we're going to address today, and it's, church, why bother? It was a question that he was thinking about, because as he looked at the church, he thought, man, there's just a lot of problems. And you hear people say, oh, you know, there's hypocrites in the church, which I didn't even know that when I was a kid, and I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't know anything about uh, hip hypocrisy. I didn't know anything about church division. I didn't know that churches could split. I didn't know any of those things, and yet there was something that didn't quite fit. And so many of us have experiences that make us ask the question, church, why bother? Now, maybe I'm preaching a little bit to the choir because you're here today, but what I want to do today is for us to understand a deeper understanding of what is a church meant to be. Why are we one church? What does that even mean when we talk about it? And we're living in a time, too, when our younger generations are increasingly less and less interested in being involved in faith. And I'm talking about the millennials, of whom I include myself with, they don't, but I do. And then uh, there's uh, Gen Z <laughs> as well. And we, we know that the percentage of those, it's not even 50% would claim to have a faith. It's called the nuns. We have no religion, no faith. And they sit, state a lot of the same reasons many of us maybe have sensed. Sometimes it's a hypocrisy. We know that in the younger generations, one of the things that has turned them off, statistically what they've um, uh, indicated is that the church has become so political, and it's, it's aligned politically in a way that they say, well, what, that, I, I don't agree with all those, so I can't be involved in that. In fact, in 1970s, uh, author Leslie Newbin wrote this, said, as the Western uh, civilization secularizes, religion will be transposed onto politics in the 70s. So that as we secularize as a nation, religion will become, will start to be transposed onto politics. And that has pushed a lot of people away. We're not talking about politics today, by the way. Amen? <laughs> but we're going to talk about church. Because there's a generations, multiple generations now who are saying, why bother? 
So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this and, and address what is the church. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 16. We looked at this verse last week. I'm going to have most of these verses for you on the, on the board. But in Matthew chapter 16, we looked at this little section. And this is where Peter is, is talking with Jesus. And Jesus took the disciples uh, out, of, uh, out of Galilee, out of the region of what was considered Israel, and walked to this town called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is this town in northern Israel. Those of you who've done the tour to Israel with me, we take, take you up there, do a little hike. You guys re- hopefully remember it. And in Caesarea Philippi, this is named after, so it's named in honor of Caesar, and then the Tetrarch Philip. And so it is a completely non-religious town. In fact, in the town where they went, this was a town that was known to be loyal to, to Caesar. It was particularly called out to be a group of people who were loyal to Caesar. In fact, they used this word in Greek called um, ekklesia, which was a group of people who were uh, aligned under some ideology. And in this case, it was towards Rome and towards Caesar. Now, in this town, there was a temple to Caesar Augustus, to, in which you could go in there and make sacrifices, animal sacrifices, um, and sometimes perhaps even human sacrifices were made there. And then there also was right next to it, there was a temple to the god Pan. I've, I've taught on this before, so I'm not going to go super deep into it, but Pan is, is uh, uh, also known as a fawn, and it's the, where we get our imagery for the devil in modern art with the goat legs, the tail, the little horns, and half human, half goat. So this is where the god Pan was worshipped there as well. And uh, included with that, there was a, a, a brothel, brothel for the um, temple prostitution happened there. And so this is all in this town that Jesus said, hey, disciples, we're going on a field trip to talk about faith. So don't complain when our youth pastor says we're going paintballing. Okay, that's, that's much better. So they go up to this town and, and where this is anything but where you would take a group of young Jewish boys who are learning the ways of the faith. He takes them there, and in Matthew 16, this is where Jesus asks the famous question, where he says, who do these people say I am, or who do people think I am? And in, in this town is where, is, again, they're worshiping Pan, which was where we get our word panic, so there's fear, there's war, there's all of this that he was involved in, as, as well as lust, that was the god Pan, um, and, and then Caesar. So he goes there and says, who do these people say I am? And he said, well, some people think you're a prophet, some people think uh, you're Elijah who's come again, or all of these things. And Jesus asked them and said, who do you say I am? And Peter, again, we looked at this last week, Peter said, well, I say that you're the Christ, that means Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, Son of Bar- Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father who's in heaven. So this is, God has revealed some truth to you now. And I now give you the name Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now again, there's imagery. We looked at last week, his name Peter means big rock. But in this town, there's this giant rock that was behind where the sacrifices were being made. And in the rock, there was an opening that dropped very deep, and it was a a, a natural spring. But this is where they would throw their sacrifices into this opening in the rock. And they called the opening in the rock the gate of Hades. So Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And this is the first time we see Jesus proclaiming something about building his church. Now, the word church is ecclesia. 
It's the same word that they used, the Romans used to designate the name of that town, Caesarea Philippi. It was a gathering of people loyal to Caesar. Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to build my church, Ecclesia, we'll look at it in a minute, people who are gathered and loyal to me, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against me. Even in the scariest, darkest place, could you imagine being on a religious field trip and you see this thing? How much fear and just the, the evil that you would sense? And Jesus said, not even the scariest thing that you're looking at right now will prevail against my church. Now, so what is the church? This Greek word is actually a great word. It essentially means to be called out from. To be a called out people. Out of something you are called. So Jesus is literally saying, my church, my people are called out of something into something. They're called into a community of people who are loyal to me. But out of what? Out of the world in which you live. You're called for something different. We're in a, a time, I think right now, as we look around culturally, not just in our country, but across the world, especially the Western world, where we certainly are noticing a decline in people's interaction with one another, a decline in morals, all of that's happening. In fact, the pastor and author John Mark Comer said this, we're in a defining moment in church and culture. We're in a, we are in decline and in disarray. And the only church that will survive in the years to come is one that's committed to following Jesus. Period. Committed to following Jesus. That's first and foremost. Not committed to any other worldview, politics, or committed to following Jesus and committed to one another in love. That's the church that's going to survive. So I want to address this question then. What do we mean when we say church? What do we mean? Because the church has been around for a long time. Jesus said this over 2,000 years ago. And the church is still here. And the gates of Hades have not prevailed against it. Amen? There have been times in human history where we thought, oh, it's over. And the church is still here. Some of you, maybe even this last year, felt like, oh, the church will not make it through. The gates of Hades will not prevail against God's people who are called out. So what do we mean by we say this? I have a few things for you here today. Uh, that we want to look at. The first one is this. The church is historical. It's connected to the peer, or committed and connected to the peer teaching of the word of God. So the church is historical. It's been around for a long time. And the church that exists to this day is a church that's committed to the peer teaching of the word of God. In other words, we use the word of God to set our standards for what we believe and how we will interact in this world. One uh, author said it this way. He said that, Traditionally, people have used the Bible to critique culture. But in today's world, people use culture to critique the Bible. And the problem with that is culture changes, does it not? In fact, right now we're in a time when people say it's no longer an authority that is, that is the highest place. We don't say that a teaching of the Bible is the highest place. That's the authority. But authenticity is more important than authority. And that's why we have this, this movement, and there's a lot of education. In education, we see it that's talking about lived experience trumps any sort of objective truth. Maybe you've heard this. If you haven't, thank the Lord you're not in school hearing that, right? So 
But so if lived experience trumps truth, then what happens is lived experience changes. Truth changes. But the church has been able to be committed, the historic church has been committed to the pure teaching of the word, and it has endured. Now you might say this, students might say, yeah, but the Bible is so irrelevant to life today. And all I would say to you is nothing is new, nothing new under the sun. That has been said for 2,000 years. Find a new argument. See, because a church started in a Roman culture where there's a few things that they were struggling with. They were trying, the sexual ethics of the church were radically different than the culture. The church was paving the way with equality, and it was a multi-ethnic community that was radical and it was different. But the community, the, the culture of the time was struggling with that. What does equality look like? How do we not separate people into groups and determine who is more important than others? The church was leading the way with that 2,000 years ago. Care for the poor. This radical, self-sacrificing worldview. That's what the church brought into the world because the poor was a big issue in the first century. Do you see how irrelevant the church is now? (laughs) See, this truth is universal. This truth lasts because God has been addressing this from the beginning of time. It applies to every culture. And just because you're, or the experiences change, but the truth doesn't, and it applies to every situation. So we're connected to a historic church. I was telling Moses this morning, I literally could have made this sermon like two hours long because I started looking at, I want to share so much more about diving deep into uh, the historic church. We're not doing it today. Upcoming series, I think, of, of what it looks like and how the church really leaned into these issues. So the church is historic, and we're committed to the pure teaching of the word. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lust, which was yours in ignorance, but be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy in your behavior. God has called you out. And the historic church has been committed to the pure teaching of the word, and it applies to all situations. We'll talk about that more in the future. In youth, you'll be hearing a lot about that, of, of how do we live out our faith in a culture that is anything but. And by the way, all of those things about the early church is what was attractive about it. All of a sudden, women were finding that they were being dignified by Christians and that men were learning how to treat women with respect and that their bodies mattered. And, and all of these things were countercultural. They came from the historic preaching of the word. Okay, so we're historic. The next thing about the church is this. The church is global. It's a universal body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 through 23, Paul's writing, he says that God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. And he gave Jesus as head over, over all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the universal collection of those who are loyal to Jesus. So that means those of us in this room are part of the church if you are a follower of Jesus. And those uh, down the street and the other churches meeting this morning are part of the church, the big church. If they're following Jesus across the globe. So the church is universal. From the beginning, it says we're part of this big family. Now, here's the thing. Uh, how many of you uh, have a family member that you say, I don't like to claim this family member? <laughs> no one's really raising their hand because you might be sitting next to that person. So, but the thing about family, sometimes we get family. We don't choose our family. 
Right? You're born into a family. You don't get to choose them. They, they, you just, for the most part, if you're adopted, you were chosen into your family. Most of us were born into a family, and, and we don't get to choose. And, and then you get married. Maybe if you get married, you choose a little bit your spouse, but you get your spouse's family. I don't know if you know that yet. If you were engaged, make sure you work that out before you say, yeah, I do. But, but for the most part, family is just given to us. But the family of God is a volunteer family. We volunteer to be a part of it. We say we're in. We're followers of Jesus. So we adopt all of you to be our brothers and sisters. It's universal. With all of your flaws, I've chosen to be a part of your family. And thank you for choosing to be a part of mine. (laughs) There's days you go like, really? Yes, I will be the crazy uncle. That's fine. I can be that guy. It's a universal church. In the last few weeks, maybe for some of us, we've thought a lot about the universal church. Think of the brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. I know there are some because the church that I was a part of for coming here, uh, we would, each year we'd build uh, water wells in different countries, and we uh, put some wells in Afghanistan, and in doing that, the organization that did it did hygiene training, and it was a Christian-based organization. And we knew through that training that there was uh, many women in these villages who gave their lives to Christ and became followers of Jesus. What does their life look like today? We don't know. But they're part, they're our brothers and our sisters in Christ, a universal church. We're connected. So we're going to do something different. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. I want you to, just where you are, by yourself or with someone around you, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray for the universal church. Maybe there's a country, maybe there's a people group, maybe there's someone that's on your heart. We know the church is persecuted in many countries around our, around our globe, more than just Afghanistan. So let's be a church and pray for our brothers and sisters. So we're going to take a moment and do that. So you can do it by yourself or someone next to you if you're comfortable, and take about 30 seconds. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. God, we pause and take this moment to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe, some of whom are experiencing great persecution to this day. Some of it's new. Some of it's been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. We pray that you'd give them courage. We pray that you'd give them peace and comfort. Lord, I pray that you would soften and enlarge our hearts, that we would have a greater view of what you're doing, not just here, but all over. So we thank you, and we pray for our family today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Great. Uh, next one is this. And yes, I have our, our youth pastor, our student pastor, Moses, is going to help us out with this section. The next one is this. What is a church? So it's historic, it's global, and then the next thing is this. It's also local. We're a, a local, a priesthood of believers. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, is one of the passages, there's many that talk about that we are called out. We'll look at that in a moment. And, and we're a royal priesthood. We are uh, representatives of God. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes this. Christ gave himself to, uh, gave, gave some, sorry, uh, so Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the people, the, equip the saints for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul's writing, and he talks a lot about the church is global. It's all of us. But he says, but there's a local element. That, and when I say local, now we're talking about seacoast. The church is in a group of people who are gathered together and say we are loyal to one another on a personal level. We're accountable to each other. We're building each other up towards maturity in Christ. That is what we, why we exist and what we're here for. That means now it's not just the universal family of God that has the crazy uncles like me. But now it's the one sitting next to you that we're called out to covenant with one another and to love one another, to walk with each other, to build one another up in the maturity of Christ. Philip Yancey, in his book, Church, Why Bother? He said he was really wrestling with this. He was wrestling with the fact that people in his church weren't mature enough in their faith, that there was hypocrites, that there was just a big mess everywhere he looked. And then he writes this. He said, for whatever reason, God now reveals himself in the world, not through a pillar of smoke and fire, not even through the physical body of his son in Galilee, but through the mongrel collection that comprises my local church and every other such gathering in God's name. He went on and said this, I came to believe that God is the ultimate judge of hypocrisy in the church. I decided I would leave such judgment in God's capable hands. I began to relax and grow softer, more forgiving of others. After all, who has a perfect spouse or perfect parents or perfect children? We don't give up on the institution of family because of its imperfections. So why give up on the church? See, we're all called to walk with each other in our imperfections, to walk with one another in our weaknesses, and to be the church together. So one thing, the reason I asked Moses to come up here is the other great thing about the local church, as you might know, that for us, we are absolutely committed to being a family. One of the distinctions of Seacoast is we're a multi-generational church. There's all generations hanging out here. You won't all like everything. We get it. That's, that's okay. It's okay. I don't like my kids' music, but they're in my family. But one of the things that we are committed to is we want to reach future generations for Christ. We're absolutely committed to our youth, to our kids' ministry, to the young families who are trying to raise their kids in, in this world today. And so I asked Moses to come up and just talk a little bit about that. Is when you think of the church and the local church in particular, how, how do you see the, the role of youth fitting in and students in the life of the church? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think with the role that uh, COVID has played in, in, just causing the church to think about, man, how, uh, what ways have we done a good job in, in loving students and loving families? And what ways have 
we not done a good, a good job? And um, really asking the questions, um, hey, how can we serve students and families better? And there are three questions, I think, again, that students have been asking uh, for as long as we can remember, but really in a season of, of change and unpredictability, they're asking questions of, where do I belong? Uh, how, who, who do I matter to? And can I, can I believe them? Can I trust them? And I, I think the church has this incredible, incredible opportunity to be that for students and families. And, um, you know, I think uh, back to my own uh, reasons of why I wanted to commit my life and financial resources and go into debt to be like part of the like part of student ministry in the church is um, is this the statistic that you've said that more than 50% of students walk away from their faith after after they leave uh, and that's at the foot of uh, the church and we've got to wrestle wrestle with that but I think uh, back to what what's what's kept me part of part of the church and it's because of relationships. It's because of the, the scripture verses that I was memorizing as I was growing up. Didn't really make much sense to me, but they became so much clearer when I saw, started to see faces to those verses. When I started to see, oh, this is how someone loves like Christ when they show up every Thursday for eight years teaching me how to play piano for free and then inviting me to, to lead worship with her at her church with her people. Um, Man, that's just an incredible picture. I see another, uh, another verse of, um, of, of leading people and, and instructing them, instructing students the way that they should go. Uh, when I had a, a chance to, my junior and senior year of high school, uh, go out every other week uh, with a guy named Gary who was a little older than I was, uh, and he just bought me a couple of dollars off of the, uh, the dollar menu, and he just talked to me about, about life, how I was doing, asked simple questions. But he showed me that I mattered, and I thought it was the coolest thing. And it gave a picture to the verses that I was memorizing. And it made me, made me realize that, man, you know, I matter. And if I, if I matter to them, this incredible God of the universe, this God who loves me, and the, there's verses in Scripture, he's adopted me to be sons to, and heirs of the throne. Like, he's, he loves me with this incredible love. Maybe I can trust him. And that's what we want to offer, and that's what I think the church can offer better than any other program, better than any other company, better than any other organization in the world. Our, our calling card, our recipe for, uh, for, for serving students and families is relationships and showing them the love of Christ. And I, I, just, I just think that those are the two big things that we, we can do as a, as a church. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you can, you can respond to that for sure. Moses, when I think about that, I, I love that in your story, it wasn't just the youth program, um, you know, but youth ministry back in the 90s was the best. I just got to say, those youth pastors were awesome. They're pretty uh, cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, we'd throw some pies at kids and then tell them about Jesus and be like, see you next week. All right. But, um, but, I, but I love that uh, this happened about 15 to 20 years ago. We started thinking, how do we help our students stay connected? Because we can get them here to youth group. You know, I, I was part of a high school group where we'd have 550 high schoolers on a Sunday morning, you know, and, and next church had like a few hundred students. And we look at that and a lot of them loved their experience. And then they graduated and said, OK, now where do I go? I was like, well, you, you're still here. They're like, oh, I've never even I don't know anybody. Why would I stay? So it was, uh, and it sounds like for you, relationship, it, it, you're talking about more than just the volunteers for youth ministry then. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, uh, this is something that we as a collective church get to, 
um, get to participate in. Again, not because we're required to, um, but because we've been compelled by the love of Christ uh, to love others. Like that's, that's, that's our mission, that's our story, and that's what we get to jump into, um, that churches have been, churches that are successful do that out of a, out of a cheerful and a joyful heart. And I think um, as we're thinking about, as, the, as church leaders have been praying and wrestling with, man, how do we help students and, and really people, but students and families uh, develop a faith that they can carry with them even past high school and carry with them the rest of their life? And I think um, they came down to some of, these, uh, some of these four, I think, guiding principles or five guiding principles that I just love to share. The first one is just intergenerational relationships, that students are not siloed and that they're not just hanging out with students because we get the problems that uh, that we have now of students loving their youth experience, loving the people that they connect with, but they're missing uh, the the variety and the diversity of experiences of, of being with adults and families of all ages. And I think that's just a big one. Uh, the second thing is that we, uh, the church is, uh, is, is going to be committed more than ever to partnering with parents. Parents are the primary spiritual influence of, of a student's life. And again, the statistic is that uh, if if you take if a student comes to every single church event for the whole year and they and they, they come to everything which is again studies have shown that this just just not happening anymore we'd get them for maybe 50 hours a year and parents you guys have three at least 3000 hours and so the church has said well we've got to start we've got to start focusing our energy and time and resources to being helping the partner with family so that's another big one um, I think the other thing that you've, you mentioned today that I just love is just that we have to teach um, the scriptures holistically, and we have to teach it in a way to students and families in an age-appropriate way. That's just really, really important of making sure that, that, um, that, the, that we model the scriptures coming to life for students. Uh, I think we also need to model a life of service. I think there's no better way for students to capture what it means to follow Jesus and, and love Jesus uh, than serving one another. And finally, I think the church can be a safe place for discovering Jesus. Again, I love our mission of helping, of helping people discover life in Jesus and learning to follow him. Um, I just, I love that. And just that we need to create a safe place for students wherever they are uh, in their walks of life, whether they're far from the Lord or whether they're taking their next couple of steps. We want to help them um, this to be a safe place to process doubt, to discover all of the great things uh, that Jesus has to offer. That's great. I love that. And those points, I mean, they're, well-researched. They matter. Um, I hope you hear that and just go like, oh, this is a night. Well, okay, whatever I heard from him. And we want to be holistic in being the local church. And notice with the verse I started with. Some are apostles, some evangelists, some are teachers, are prophets, some are pastors or teachers for the building up of the saints, to equip the saints for the works of service. That's all of us. It's not just those volunteering in youth ministry. And we often said, if you don't like youth, we don't want you to volunteer in youth. But what might you have gifts in? What if you can create an environment where you can help train? Some of you have raised your kids really well. Wow, what if you mentored some of us who are trying to figure out how to raise our kids well? So we are all in this together. It's not just one. It's not just the youth volunteers, although they are special. They get a bigger house in heaven. That's, we get it, the kids and youth volunteers. Uh, but we're a church together. And what that also means is that the church is not designed to just be a spectator sport. We invite you to be a part of it. Even those of you who volunteer, I love when I show up and I see our hospitality team praying in the morning to create an environment where maybe someone who comes off the street who's never been here before says, I had a great experience. We want you to jump in and say, we're, 
we're in this local church matters. And it matters to commit to a family and to covenant with them and to be a part, to jump in, don't just watch. That's not what the local church is meant to do. Find a community where you can be known and know and where you can share your life with others. So thanks for, there's a lot more we could talk about. We don't have time, but we're gonna do this. We wanna pray for our students and our, our kids and the workers here at the church. So again, let's take about 30 seconds, the people around you, and uh, let's pray for our students and our kids here that we can be a church for them, that they know Jesus and follow him. God, once again, we come to you as the creator of the universe. We trust you for all things. We trust you in all things. And Lord, we want to entrust our kids and our students into your hands. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that they are, but we pray that your protection over them right now. And I pray for our staff who works with our students and and youth. We pray for Moses and Deb and Devin and Katie, and then for all the volunteers who give their time. And God, I, I pray that you would just give them wisdom and encouragement and joy as they lead our kids well. I pray for all the families who are in the thick of it right now trying to navigate this. And Lord, I pray for those who are a little further down the road that you would awaken their hearts and give them opportunities to mentor and to lead those of us who are still in the trenches. God, let us be a church who loves each other well and who we all jump in and dive in to be the community you've called us to be. And God, I also want to pray for, uh, as we did a couple weeks ago, for all of our educators here, for the teachers and administrators and everyone who's trying to do that and lead our students in the public and private spaces to, to lead them in a way that models you and reflects Jesus. So God, we just thank you this morning and we trust these families in your lives, in your hands. And we pray, God, that you give us wisdom as a church to walk with each other, to love each other, to serve one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So the last one is this. Uh, so we had the church. What is a church? It's a historic. We're connected to the teaching of God's word. We're global or we're universal and uh, we're local. And then finally, this is we're future. What does that mean? We're a demonstration community of the present and future kingdom of God. The church is about pointing people to a foretaste of what heaven's like. The church isn't, the way God has designed us is to exist in community in a way that when people see us, they say, is that a picture of what God is creating, this new heavens and new earth, a family that we want to be a part of? Too often, people see Christians hanging out together and says, I don't need to be at that party. They're not very fun. They don't like each other. I just don't want to be, if that is a foretaste of heaven, I don't want to spend eternity with those people. The church is actually designed to be a foretaste, a picture of the kingdom of God here and now and the future kingdom. Again, I don't have time to get in all the verses. There's, there's literally hundreds of verses throughout the New Testament talking about wh- the way the church exists together. But what are the things that we can do that give a foretaste of heaven? And there's a few. One is 
that we learn together? 1 Corinthians 4, 17, we see that all the churches are being taught the ways for those who are in Christ. So we learn together. And as we learn together, we're, we're learning what it looks like to be the kingdom of God on display. We serve together. I already mentioned that. Uh, in, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we see that we are called together to serve one another. This is not a profession, a profession where you say, like, well, we hired Ryan to do it, so we show up on Sunday and he runs the church. That's how it works. That's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be that we serve one another in love. It gives a picture of a community that the world is missing out on, a self, self-sacrificing, loving community. How else are we a demonstration community? We're also on mission together. See, the church should care about those who don't follow Jesus. We should care that there are people in our community who, who don't know Jesus and are living a life separated from God and eternity is waiting for them, separated from God. That should matter to us. So a church that's a foretaste, a future focus, that we understand that we are on mission together. We're giving them a demonstration of the kingdom. Now, you might be here today and say, well, I'm not a Christian. Am I just your project? project? We've talked about this before, right? I want to remind you of these words. No, you are not my project. You are God's project. Thanks for being here. You're his project. <laughs> and yes, we do want you to be a follower of Jesus because we believe it's the best way to live. You with me? We believe that it brings life in those dark times. We believe it gives you purpose and hope. Following Jesus is the best way to live. We are convinced of that, and we want to invite you to that. And it can't be just me. It has to be all of us. So we're on mission together. That's why we've been challenging you. Would you think of five people you know that don't know Jesus and pray for five people? I challenge you to do it. My wife and I have been joking the last few weeks saying, like, we need to quit praying because all these conversations keep popping up with people. God wants your friends and family to know him. And something happens when we're faithful in prayer. And it's actually a little bit exciting and scary at the same time. But when you start praying, you're going to start noticing all the people who want to talk to you about faith. And I want to promise you one thing. Right now, people are hungry, and they want to talk about faith. They do. They do. Trust me. It's happening all over the place. Our goal here as a church is to help people discover life in Christ. We don't want to con- we're not trying to convert people to Christianity. Well, that happens, but we want to make people into disciples of Jesus. That's what we're about. And we want to be a community together to give that foretaste of heaven to those around us. We invite the worship team to make their way back up. I know today we kind of flew through these things as we talked about what is the church. But as a reminder for you as we think about it, We're part of a historic community and family of those who follow Jesus, committed to teaching the word of God, figuring out how that applies. We know it's not easy, but we're going to, that's what we're committed to. The universal global church, we're part of the local church. It matters, it matters. We're glad you're here. It matters that we're together. And finally, we're the future facing. We're a picture of the kingdom of heaven. That's what we get to be. And so we're going to close our time with a little bit of worship, worshiping as a family. And then when we're done with this, we're going to practice. We're going to go out and eat together. There's some great food. Hang out together. 
be the family together. It's provided for you today. Just go out and enjoy it. And this is all intentional to say we are in this together. This is tough to follow Jesus. This is nothing new to face trials. And the church will prevail. The gates of Hades will not stand up against Jesus' church. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? Go into a time of response here. God, we thank you so much just that you keep putting up with us. I thank you that you're the one who can deal with our sin. You're the one who can deal with our imperfections. You're the one who unites us together. And even though we come here sometimes with hypocrisy, sometimes we come here with our, our inconsistencies and our failures and our skewed politics and, and one way or the other. And we come with just so many imperfections. And yet you say, I love you. I've called you out. And I've made you into one new family. And so, God, would you empower us as a church, as a local church? Would you, Lord, help us to love each other well, to serve each other well, to get off the sidelines and to join in so that more and more people will know you and follow you? God, we thank you, and we just give you our hearts in response now. In Jesus' name.